The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. So we're kind of in the middle of this series, Fear Not. And if you haven't been here yet, it's your first week, or if you missed a week of the first couple weeks, uh, really what we're looking at is, is fear, different kinds of fear. But we're looking through the Christmas account and all these times that angels show up and they tell everybody they come encounter with, don't fear, don't be afraid. And, uh, but then they kind of branch into, I don't know, their deeper fears. And they, the advice they give them or the, the news they present to these people isn't necessarily about them being startled about the angels showing up, which is what I'd be afraid of. But uh, they kind of cut to their deeper fear underneath, and we're kind of looking at those. So if you were here back in week one, we talked about the I Am. We went the whole way back to the Old Testament. We talked about the real God of the universe who calls himself the I Am, the one who exists. He is breath itself. All life comes from him. He holds everything together, uh, and everything was created for him and through him and by him. And, uh, and, and we talked about it, and he looks at us, and he says, don't be afraid. Over and over again, all throughout his word, he says, don't be afraid. And, uh, and he really gives you just a few reasons why you're not supposed to be afraid. We called those proximity, promise, and, and power in week one. And so uh, his proximity is close to us. You don't have to be afraid because God is close. And he'll say that over and over again. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I've always been with you. Don't be afraid. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And sometimes he shows up and he says, I've got a promise for you. I know it looks bad now, but I've got something better in the future. I know it looks hopeless, but I can do anything. And so believe that promise. And I'm completely trustworthy. You can believe me. And sometimes he shows up and he just says, I'm the biggest kid on the block. I'm the most powerful. You don't have to be afraid because I'm the strongest. And if the God of the universe who breathes life into everyone and everything, if he shows up and says, I'm right here by your side, I'm the biggest and strongest, and I've promised to never leave you or forsake you, you don't have to be afraid. And so the root of all of this uh, uh, fear and the, the antidote for it is really God. And if we can embrace God's goodness and his character and his Um, almighty nature and his omnipresence that he's with us all the time, that we don't have to be afraid of anything. And so if you find yourself afraid, God would speak those same antidotes to you today. And so what we started doing last week was looking at some specific fears we have. We looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth from the Christmas story, and uh, we talked about the fear of being stuck. Uh, If you are here last week, if you remember that. But the fear of being stuck, it's a real fear. People are afraid the way it is now is the way it's always going to be. And, uh, and so if you haven't had a chance to listen to either of those first two um, sermons from this series, I hope you'll go back on our podcast, listen to it. You can find it on Spotify or Apple Music or pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. If not, it's on our website too. But today I really want to talk with you about a different fear. Um, and, and it's a fear that I know for sure a lot of people in the room have. I've talked with a lot of people in this room about this specific fear. It doesn't always get mentioned by name or this way but it's the fear of being insignificant. And uh, if you're here right now and you think, I don't really have this fear, you probably do sometimes. I, I actually think we all probably feel this sometimes. We just don't always know what it is. So for some people, it drives them to work harder, to achieve more, to, to have more success. And then for other people, it seems to cause them to give up and get depressed. It could kind of be either end of that spectrum. It's weird that way, you know? And... Uh, You might settle for an isolated, meager existence, or you might work a bunch of extra hours trying to make a ton of money and get ahead in the world. 
But no matter how hard you try or how hard you hide, deep down inside there's still this fear that I don't measure up. I'm not going to leave behind anything of value. I'm not going to make a mark on this world. I'm not going to do anything of value or prominence in this society. I'm just going to be insignificant. And so some people, they think the more I do, the more I experience, the better my life will be. And for others, they think it's kind of connected to their fear of failure. And so they're like, well, if I hide and I don't do anything, then there's less chance for me to mess it up. And so this can be connected to like the fear of missing out on the one side or the fear of failure on the other side. So I do a bunch of things because I don't want to miss anything because all these experiences and all this effort is going to lead me to feel significant. Then on the other side, there's this fear of failure. And so it's like, I don't do anything. I don't take any chances or risks. I just kind of hide away from the world thinking if I don't put myself out there, then I'll never mess anything up. And yet deep down inside, you just feel this like something's missing. I'm insignificant. That's kind of the characters we're going to talk about today. Stephanie kind of mentioned them. Stephanie and I don't talk about what I'm going to teach ahead of time, which is interesting. I mean, she knows the passage and stuff, but uh, she kind of preached half my sermon, so we'll cut it like in half today and get out of here early, Car. Is that what you want to do? But um, so, yeah, but that was good because she said like a lot of things I already have in my notes, which is cool. But um, we're going to look at the shepherds today, the shepherds in Bethlehem, just some ordinary guys doing an ordinary job, living in an ordinary town on an ordinary night. Nothing special. Nothing significant, nothing like remarkable about them. In fact, we're not even told their names. They, they might be the most ordinary, seemingly least significant characters in the whole Bible. You don't hear them ever again mentioned. They're never mentioned before this. It's just this one tiny piece of scripture where these shepherds show up. We're not told hardly anything about them. And an angel shows up to them. And I don't know if they felt insignificant, but if anybody was going to feel insignificant in the Bible, be these guys. Nothing mentioned that would make you think they'd be significant. And so I feel like we can relate to them today, that they would be me in the story. If I was in the Christmas story, this is probably who I'd be, just the kind of nameless person going about their day-to-day stuff, not really thinking they're famous or powerful or making much of a difference or rich or somebody of great influence, just kind of an average person living out their normal life. So if you want to follow along with us, we'll be in Luke chapter 2 most of the time today. These verses will be on the screen as always, but you can follow along with us in your own Bible if you'd like to. Also, it's Luke chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to pick the story up in verse 8. I want to read through it with you. Just talk about it as we go if we can. But Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this, that night, that night, what night, what night? All right, so if you read the beginning of Luke 2, verses 1 to 7, you find out that night is the night Jesus was born. Okay, verse 7 tells you that, I think. But that night, the very night Jesus came on the scene, right, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. That's it. It's all all the information we get about them. That's it, okay? There's just some shepherds nearby watching their sheep at night, working the third shift, doing their thing, running their ordinary lives. And then, on, on, and then on the scene comes this angel. Look at verse 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Here we are again. Here we go again. Angel shows up, and then what's it say? The glory of God filled the space, right? The glory of God surrounded them, and they didn't sit on Papa's lap and tell him what they wanted for Christmas, 
They didn't make a bunch of wishes. They didn't talk about the warm tingle on their spine. They were freaked, right? They're scared. When God shows up and reveals his glory in the Bible, people are terrified. Just remember that. I'm just going to keep repeating that at our church because there's so much opposite of that being spoken out about out in the world, about these encounters with God. I'm just telling you, every time he shows up in the Bible, people are scared because his glory is so amazing. And so the glory of God surrounds them, and they're terrified, just like last week with Zechariah, just like the week before with Moses. When God's glory shows up, people get scared. So here we go again. And the angel is going to say the same thing to them that he said last week to Zechariah. Look at verse 10. But the angel reassured them. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And that seems like what you'd want him to say. And it seems like he would then go on to be like, don't be afraid. I'm an angel. (laughs) He doesn't do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God sent me to talk to you tonight. You know, you're God, the real God. He doesn't do that. He just says, don't be afraid. And then the very next instructions are completely different from what he told Zechariah the week before. For us the week before, months before for Zechariah. They're completely different than the instructions he's going to give to Joseph, the instructions they're going to give to Mary. They're completely different because these next instructions, this next piece of news is going to cut right to the thing they need the most, which is significance. Here's these insignificant ordinary guys. And listen to what this angel says to them in verse 11. Verse 10, the end of verse 10. He said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Let's stop there just for a second. That's the message, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you a message of good news that will bring great joy for all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the one you've been waiting for, he's been born today. It's like the angel shows up and he's like, I'm bringing you the scoop. Nobody else knows yet. This is what's happened tonight. The Savior everybody needs and many people are looking for has showed up on the scene. And I'm here to let you in behind the scenes and give you the news story of all news stories first. That's it. Now look at verse 12. In verse 12, he says, And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now stay with me on that verse just for a second. There's nothing in the Christmas story in the Bible, there's nothing in any of the accounts of it that would make you think that the birth of Jesus was anything other than a normal childbirth. So here we are in a barn at night, Mary and Joseph probably by themselves, maybe some animals in there, who knows, They're all by themselves, a natural childbirth, probably very painful, right? Messy, not very clean or sanitary in there, I'm sure, right? And just this normal childbirth, and the angel says, go find this baby. Now, Bethlehem would have been crowded at this time. People coming into town for this census, uh, this big event that was going on that the emperor wanted. And so the crowd, it was so crowded, there was nowhere for them to stay, right? And so how many babies you think were in Bethlehem that night? How many were even born that night? Probably multiple, many maybe. Who knows? But, but nothing 
to kind of point you in the right direction. And, and, and it's interesting because, like, he says, hey, you'll find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, or as different versions say, like, in swaddling clothes, right? And uh, that, that wouldn't be special either. In fact, we still do that today, right? The baby's born, you take the baby, you clean the baby up, and then you swaddle them up, give them back to the mom, right? So that's like a normal thing even today. So how would they even find this baby? And this kind of stuck out to me today. I brought a picture of a manger. Can I show you what it looks like? Here's, a, here's kind of a, just a picture I brought of a manger. It's just some slats of wood thrown together, some hay put down in it. It's just a feeding trough for animals, right? And this is what they laid Jesus in. And the angel says, you'll find the baby in Bethlehem, right? You'll find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in this. Now that looks like a mistake. It looks like not the place for a king. It's not really even the place for any baby. There's no mother today, back then, anytime, that would want to take their newborn baby and lay it inside of a barn in a feeding trough for animals. Nobody would want to do that. It looks like a mistake. It looks pretty, in fact, of everything in that barn, that might be the most insignificant thing to anybody. The farmer comes in, the farmer comes in checking the animals, looking to see if there's enough hay, probably not thinking like, man, that is one solid food trough. It's probably the least significant piece of the whole scene. But without that piece, I wonder how they'd have found Jesus. Because all they're told is, go and find him. He's in town, right? You'll find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in that. It's like, okay. And, and then you're going to see in just a little bit when they show up on the scene to where Jesus is at. Like, Guess where they found the baby? Lying in that. The most insignificant piece. The piece of the scene that looks like a mistake. Come on, don't miss this part today. You ready? The piece that looks like a mistake was actually holding the message. And these guys, everything in their whole world is about to change. It's just this weird scene. Jesus in a barn, in a place he doesn't deserve to be, lying in a place that no mother would want to put their baby. It's this amazing scene where the Savior shows up in our world. And it looks like a mistake. But really, it's this place to hold the message. Now, don't miss what happens next. I want to read it to you. Let me read it to you. It's in verse, uh, I don't know. Where are we at, Lee? Verse 12, verse 13. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, verse 13 and 14, you could rip out of your Bible and nothing about the story would be different. So why is it there? Why do you need this vast host of angels appearing in the sky and praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men, peace to those who with God is whom, whom God is pleased? Why do you need that piece of the story? It's not necessary. Wasn't one angel like if you're the shepherds and an angel shows up to you, or you're like, well, I would I would believe you if there was a vast host of angels. One angel, God's glory filling the place, not enough for me. You don't even need this piece of the scene, right? And yet here's this vast host, the armies of heaven, kind of filling the space, praising God, 
crying out glory to God. It made me think of this scene from 2 Kings chapter 6. If you kind of grew up in church, you might be familiar with this story. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's this story where Elisha, the prophet, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, he's kind of being the thorn in the flesh or the thorn in the side uh, of this king in a neighboring country to Israel. King of Aram, I think it is. And, and, and the king of Aram's trying to attack Israel and conquer them. But every time he gets ready to launch an invasion, Elisha the prophet goes to the king of Israel and says, the, the dudes come and run the other way. So, so their army escapes and they can't ever catch them. It's like they're playing this weird kind of Old Testament version of cat and mouse game, right? And, and so this ticks this king off. And he's like, there must be a spy in our ranks telling everybody telling everybody where we're going to attack. And one of his advisors said, no, it's not a spy. It's that prophet Elisha. He's telling the king of Israel where you're going to attack before you attack. And so he says, send a battalion of soldiers. Bring me that guy. I'm going to kill him. Bring me his head. And Elisha is in his house, and his servant is in there with them. The two of them are inside the house. And this battalion of soldiers from the neighboring country surround the house. And the servant peeks his head out the door the next morning and he sees this army surrounding them and concludes they're dead and says so to Elisha. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Let me read you what he says to him. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than are on theirs. And then he did something that I did for you this morning. And I hope God will do it. Then he prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with the horses and chariots of fire. It's like this same scene to me. Angels just everywhere having your back, in close proximity, guaranteeing you safety, offering you God's power, declaring God's glory. It's this scene where he's like, don't be afraid. The ones with us are greater than the ones against us. And so here's this scene where all these angels come in, into the sky and they start praising God and crying out glory to him. And you're like, but why? Why is it even in there? Here's, here's the answer. You ready? To make it absolutely clear to those shepherds, and to you 2,000 years later, that this story isn't about Mary and Joseph. It isn't about shepherds and angels. It's about the glory of God. That he's the hero in the story. He is the message. He is the one that gets all the fame and all the attention and all the credit and all the honor. Him and only him. All right, and so uh, then everything's going to change for these guys. Let me show you the beginning of it, verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Okay, I, I asked some people to come help me. I, I can't remember who it all is. Emmanuel, I know it was Emmanuel. Can you come here a second? Ethan, can you come here a second? Abby, right? Tara, and Caleb, right? Was it Caleb? Yeah, yeah, come here. Okay. So these guys are going to help me out for a second. You know why? Because they're, they're all very young, 
and that makes them not very bright yet. So, okay, so, yeah. So, because everybody that's older is like, there's no way I'm going up there to help out, right? So, Emmanuel, can you just stand back here? Caleb, can you stand back here with him? Tara, can you stand right here, Tara? And then these two are actually the sheep. So I need you guys to get down your hands and knees, and you can just, like, kind of hang out in the field, right? You can make noises, whatever you want to do. They're the sheep. I, I really wanted you to be able to see it, Dylan. I wanted you to see the picture today. So these are our sheep, right? And, you know, sheep aren't very bright, you know what I mean? So they just kind of wander around, uh, eat, and get in everybody's way. So that's what these guys are, okay? These are our shepherds, okay? These are our shepherds. Lee, I don't know if I have these verses in there in the right order, so you might have to skip to those pictures for me in a second. I'm not sure. Just hang with me for a second. So here's our shepherds. Here's our sheep. Angel shows up, tells them, I'm bringing you good news, great joy. They're terrified, right? That's the story. They're terrified. And, and then this whole sky gets filled with angels. This is what they look like. So show everybody your best shepherd terrified face. Okay. Tara's terrified. Tara, makes sense. Manuel has to go to the bathroom. And, and Caleb's confused. I don't know. So, okay. But this is their terror. It's like this. And it made me think of like, two, I have two favorite, do you guys say GIF or GIF? Help me out. GIF, G-I-F. I don't know. Uh, T-G-I-F. I don't know. G-I-F. Okay. So that was, that's like one of my favorite ones. Terrified, right? That's how they are. The angels show up. All the angels do is say, I got good news for you. The Messiah has been born. Then they praise God and they leave. And right after the angels say, or the shepherds say to each other, let's go. Show us. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. That's what that looks like. It's my second of their favorite gift, right? That's what it looks like. And they're like, let's go. That was, that was okay. Tara, that was okay. Emmanuel, I couldn't even hear you, kid. Show them show again. Let's go. Okay, it was okay. It was okay. All right. So you get it. Something happened for them to go from terrified to let's go. What was it? It didn't seem like it would necessarily do it for us. Just some information. You, you guys can all sit down. The sheep, you didn't even move. I mean, you guys didn't eat anything or move. It's... No, no, you're just encouraging them. Don't do that. The sheep will never move if you clap for them. That's a... Oh, they were too afraid by the angels to move. Okay, I got you. Good, okay. I got you, yeah. Okay, so that's what happened. They're terrified. The, angels give them a mes- the angel gives them a message, and then all of a sudden, they're like, let's go do this thing. Right? Let's go see this thing that the Lord has done, that the angel has told us about. And then look in verse 16. Look how they found the baby. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby. They didn't say anything about the strips of cloth. They didn't say anything about what Jesus' physical features were like. They said, we found him lying in the manger. They are probably like, hey, baby's in a feeding trough. That must be the guy, right? Like that's the only, the thing that looked so insignificant was the only way they identified the message. What did they do next? Look at verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Why did they do that? Because that's what you do. If something crazy great happened in your life, you'd go tell everybody. Nobody lights a candle and then hides it under a bushel. Nobody turns their flashlight on and then puts it in their pocket. You hold it out to let everybody see the light. 
So you get this good message, this great news. You go tell everyone about it. Can you back up for me just a second, Lee? Go back to verse 12. I've read this verse maybe, I don't know, a hundred times in my life. Is it in there, verse 12? I got that somewhere back up. I've read this verse maybe a hundred times in my life. And this week I thought, I wonder if it really sounds like the way I've been reading it. Not verse 12. What's verse 11? Let me see verse 11. We'll get there at some point. Nope, that's still not it. Verse 13, maybe. Let me find it. Verse 15, Lee. I was close. I was close. Verse 15. I've read this verse maybe a hundred times in my life, and I've wondered this week, I was like, I wonder if it really sounds to God or to these shepherds like the way I've been reading it. Here's how I always read it. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. But I wonder if when they read it, the emphasis in that sentence was actually on the word us. I wonder if he was like, hey, let's go. Let's go see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. Us. Why would he tell us? Why wouldn't he tell somebody more important? Why wouldn't he tell a king? A king could get the message out way easier than a shepherd. Why wouldn't he tell the priest? Everybody's coming to the temple every day. The priest could spread the word, right? Why wouldn't he tell the rich people that everybody would respect and listen to? Why does he tell us we're just ordinary guys? And I wonder if they weren't like, let's go see this thing that the Lord has told us about. Us. Can you believe it? Us. I don't know. I'm so lost. Where are we at, Lee? So they go and tell everyone what had happened. Verse 17. And what the angel had said to them about this child. Because that's what you do. And that's God's plan. And we got the exact same message they got. The Savior has been born. He's the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. Go let him know. It's our same message today. So what changed? How these ordinary guys go from terrified to amped up? Only one thing changed. Can I tell you what it is? Just one word. Purpose. That's it. They had a brand new purpose. Everything they thought was important before no longer seemed that important. This is all that mattered in their minds right now. Purpose. It was the same purpose that God has given you right now. Here's the purpose. Can I tell you what it is? You ready? It's the only reason you were made. To glorify God. That's it. It's why all the angels showed up. I need you to know this isn't just a message for you to hold on to. This isn't just a message for you to go and check out something cool that's happening. This is a message intended to glorify God. So these angels show up and they're praising God and saying glory to him in the highest. Because that's the purpose. So I was studying this week. Something stuck out to me, and, and you can look back at this if you want, but like, you know the word insignificance or insignificant? It's got a lot of eyes in it. You notice that? In fact, there's no letter that shows up more in the word insignificant than the letter I. And I was thinking this week, like, that's really kind of what we're talking about in this account. Because significance doesn't come from my success 
or my sexual conquest or my own security or, or any kind of safety in my life or doesn't come from my checking account or my savings account. My significance actually comes from my surrender. I know, I know, it seems, seems backwards. seems backwards. You say, no, if I'm going to be more significant, i got to do more stuff. i got to have more things. I've got to be more known and, and more impressive to people. And I've got to be out there more and more famous and more recognizable, right? But not with God. God's plan works backwards. If I'm going to be significant, i got to surrender. And every time... Every time I try to build my kingdom, I lose significance. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, guy's preaching at me. He thinks he's all that and perfect. No, no, no. I do this too. In fact, I bet you I do it every day. Every time I try to build my kingdom, I lose significance. Every time it's about my happiness, my satisfaction, my padded account, my feelings of safety or contentment. Every time it's about my kingdom, I lose significance. And every time I surrender something from my kingdom to serve a higher crown, I gain significance. It made me think all week this week about two songs. One of them, you may or may not know, our band's going to introduce it in like two weeks, called Crowns Down by Bethel. You could listen to it sometime if you want. Super good song about the same idea. The other one's from 30 years ago when I was in high school. And I can remember, let's talk for a second, Caleb. Is that okay? Pretend like nobody else is here for a second, okay? I can remember when I was in your grade praying for you. I didn't know you. Be kind of freaky. You weren't even born yet because I'm that old. But it's like I remember praying when I listened to this song. It's a song by Clay Cross called I Surrender All. It came out in the 90s. And uh, I remember praying as I listened to that song, like, God, just take everything I've got and just use it to help other people know you better. And every time I surrender any piece of my kingdom for a higher crown and to serve a higher master, I gain significance. I may not get it here. I won't ever be famous. I won't be rich. I won't be somebody that everybody's like, that guy knows everything. None of that matters. This is the kind of surrender that gives you your purpose that makes you look in life and say, everything I used to consider valuable, I now think of as garbage for the sake of Christ. And I I don't know if it's the second or third verse of that song that I surrender all, but it says something like, so I lay aside these trophies to pursue a higher crown. And should he choose somehow to use the life I willingly lay down, I surrender all my triumphs, for it's only by your grace. I relinquish all the glories. I surrender all all my praise. And you get the choice. Listen, last week was a little lovey-dovey. I get it. It was all about God loves you and you need to be reminded of how much God loves you and that's so super true. This week is going to be a little harsher because there's a piece of us that needs to be confronted with how selfish and stingy we are with our kingdom and how it's all about my career and my relationship and my money, and my time, and the hobbies I enjoy. And I'm just asking you to think for a second. Every time you try to build that kingdom, bag another buck, get another girl, add another dollar. Every time you try to do that stuff for you, 
you lose significance. And so it doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are, how many people you've been with, how big your house is, how much free time you have. None of that makes you significant. But if you will lay all that down and leverage everything you have to serve a higher crown, you will find significance, and that will be your purpose. You will feel significant. Let me show you how this story ends in verse 20, Luke chapter 2. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Can you see it? Leave that verse up for just a second. Can you see it? They went back to their normal life. Nothing changed, but everything changed. Do you get it? You're going to go out of these doors today. It doesn't matter what you decide for the Lord. Nothing out there is going to change, but everything's going to change. I was thinking this week, uh, I don't know, 1 Corinthians 1, I think, where Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians, and the backstory is kind of like, nobody liked what Paul had to say. The Jews all thought he was an idiot, and the Greeks all thought he was foolish. And he talks about this in his letter to the church at Corinth, and he's like, that nobody's believing our message. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about them. Because to us who are being saved, God's word, his message, it's the very wisdom of him and the very power of him. Don't worry about what everybody else is saying. And then listen, I want to read you a piece of what he writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. He says this to these Christians. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. You know what that verse means? Most of you were insignificant. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, the scriptures say, it's a quote from Jeremiah 9, 24. You can look it up. That's a great chapter if you want to read all of Jeremiah 9. And he said, therefore, the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Do you get it? Why the angels showed up, why it happened in a stable, why there had to be a manger, why he chose these ordinary people is it so he could get all the credit, all the glory, why he gives you money, why he gives you health, why he gives you a home and a family and time and abilities is not so you can build a better kingdom for yourself. It's so you can leverage all of it for him, and in turn, he gets all the fame. That's it. Nothing about your life will change. You'll still be working the same job and have the same uh, crummy problems in your life and be struggling with the same habits and dealing with the same family members and friends, but everything will change. But everything will change. It's a hard story for me because I don't often get up and share a whole lot about my own 
personal life, but it's like this, this week, for whatever reason, didn't really discourage me because I'm kind of used to getting beat up by people. But it's like this week I got kind of beat up by two different people. And one of them was like, none of them do it to you. You know what I mean? They do it like on Facebook or to somebody that knows you. But one of them was, uh, was saying like, I don't, I don't, I think the quote was something like, I don't understand how that church is growing. He's not even that good of a preacher. And I was like, well, duh, you think this is about me? You think our church is about me? I'm not the hero. I'm at best a shepherd. I'm probably more like the manger. And the other person was like, I can't go to that church. That guy's too sinful. That wasn't exactly how they said it, but that was basically what they were saying. And I was like, well, duh. I am too sinful. You're right. I'm just nothing. I'm an absolute nobody. I consider my life to be worth nothing for the sake of Christ. That's what Jesus is hunting for. People who will lay down their crowns to serve his. People who will walk away from their kingdom and leverage everything they have to make a difference for him in the world, to get the message out. And I know everybody else out there is looking at you and being like, you're just a mistake, but you're not. You're the message. You carry the message, the exact same message. Jesus has been born, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And nothing about your life will change, but everything will change if you surrender everything you have to him. That's it. Those people don't get me down if you're worried about my heart. Kenny, are you worried about my heart? Those people don't get me down. <laughs> Kenny was asleep. <laughs> those, people, those people don't get me down because they remind me of who I am. Just the message. Just the messenger. Telling everybody I can about Jesus. Leveraging every dime I've got for Jesus. Uh, inviting people into my home and using all the talents I've got. Laying down my gifts on the altar and saying, Jesus, will you just take them and multiply and some of you in the room ought to be thinking about becoming a pastor. And some of you in the room ought to be considering going on the mission field. And some of you in the room ought to be considering joining our church. Some of you ought to be considering stepping out of your comfort zone to volunteer in our kids' class. And some of you ought to be considering just telling your husband or wife you love them. But everybody in the room needs to take a step of courageous faith today. A step where they say, not about my kingdom anymore but about his kingdom, laying down my trophies to pursue a higher crown, no matter what it costs me. And I know, because I talk to a lot of different people in my life, I know a lot of you have good intentions and, and you've tried your hardest to be a good person to get it all right. And, and, and you've got it almost all right because you've been living your life to this point with this in mind, that it's about me. And you're almost right. You just one letter off it's really all about he. So I ask you today, church, family, people who say they're Christians, who say they're surrendered to Jesus, is there a piece of your life you've been holding on to to build your kingdom that needs to be thrown down at Jesus' feet and said, no more, this is for you. You know what it is. You don't need me to get in your business. You know what it is you're holding on to, what you think is bringing you significance. It's really robbing significance from your life. This is the only thing that will last. This is the only thing that goes to heaven with you. Everything I do for Christ is all that matters.
same for you. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the people who are here with ears to hear and eyes to see your truth. God, would you open up our eyes just like you did Elisha's servant. Would you let us see the angels all around us just praising you and crying out that everything gives glory to you. Convict our hearts, God. Don't let us eat. Don't let us sleep. Don't let us feel okay inside until we address the elephant in the room that we've been busy building our kingdom and ignoring your kingdom. God, would you convince everybody in the room to throw something down from their kingdom and start to leverage it for your good instead, to make you more famous, to make you more known, to let more people know the message. We're just carrying the exact same good news that the shepherds carried 2,000 years ago, God. Would you give us that significance? Drive us to our purpose so we will feel filled inside and not have to be afraid anymore. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.